0: I've been putting bad guys away for 44 years. I've been part of investigating over a thousand deaths. I've been a part of putting more than 400 murders in prison, and I'm still at it. I'm Tim Corbett. These are my cases. This isn't your typical criminal profile podcast. This is Killer Catchers. Good evening. My name is Tim Corbett. I'm the owner of Corbett Investigative Service in South Bend, Indiana. Sitting next to me is Brian Cook. You other folks would introduce yourselves, please.
1: Charlotte Upfer. I'm Dave Upfer. I'm David Upfer, the oldest brother of the victim. And the picture you see right there is our victim, Nate.
0: Nate was killed on April 16, 2014, and just a little bit after midnight in the 1400 block of North Adams Street in the city of South Bend. Um, he was a victim of a robbery. Two people involved in that were uh, Jermaine Munn named B.D. and a guy named Shane Williams. It's pretty much all you're going to hear about, uh, their names from me. This, this podcast is the focus on the victim and the victim's family. Um, this was a tough case to work. Uh, I will tell you when we first got there, and for a period of time after that, we had nothing. We had very minimal. You're going to hear about informants. You're going to hear about the investigation. And mainly tonight, you're going to be hearing a lot from the family. Take a look at that picture. It was an innocent victim. Innocent victim. And that's what this is about. Okay. Brian, he's been with me several times on these. Um, I can't seem to get rid of him. He just keeps coming back uh, because he's got nothing else to do on a Wednesday night. But Brian was with me for 11 years over at Homicide and you know he always says I worked for you and nobody ever worked for me they worked with me and that's what this thing's about. I've talked about it several times it's all about teamwork it's all about everybody in cooperation working together egos are checked at the door no policeman hall of fame nobody's getting trophies nobody's getting extra money unless you get overtime and that's what those guys got I didn't but it doesn't make any difference. Uh, we got these two idiots they're in prison and uh, once again I hope they're miserable. So. Cookie, why don't you kind of take us back to that day on April 16, 2014, and 1400 block of Adams Street?
2: Like you said, we called a little bit after midnight um, of a a deceased young man, uh, Nathan, Nate, um, had been shot, and just nothing. Uh, Streets were quiet. We get there, and uh, just at that time – not a whole bunch to go on uh the text came out and we processed everything they processed everything and as they do collected everything and then we started knocking on doors and uh going from there
0: well there wasn't much of a scene um uh, nate was there obviously his bike and that was pretty much it so obviously uh, you have to go through all the process of um you know photographing videotaping and triangulation on um you know, doing the diagrams and mapping everything out. Uh, normally, I have somebody here from uh, the tech world, but he is stuck in traffic on 80 up in Chicago, and he's not a very good driver when he's not stuck in traffic, so um, I don't even want him on the phone talking. It wouldn't be safe for anybody in the continental United States. So the, the information we were able to gather from the evidence there was minimal. At that time, we thought That with the way his pockets were, that uh, perhaps there might have been some touch DNA on that. We processed for all that. But during all this, we had to find out who he was and how to get in contact with family. Uh, That was was a little bit of a strenuous process. And I'm going to go back to that time when you guys were contacted, Mom. And why don't you tell us about that?
3: Well, I just kind of want to, you know, start us out as the day progressed, you know, I woke up, um, it was a day, it felt like any other day. I woke up, proceeded to get ready for work. um, And just before I get ready for work, I usually um, go wake Nathan up for school. Well, on the way up there, I noticed my keys weren't hanging on the hook and I thought that was odd. So I called Dave. His phone wasn't on, so I left him a message and asked because sometimes we switch our keys. You know, he grabs mine, I grab his, whatever, and by mistake. And so I thought maybe he might have had my keys. Um, like I said, he didn't answer me. Um, so I thought, well, maybe Nathan has him upstairs because he likes to move the cars back and forth to play basketball at night. Um, so I went up to his room to see if I could find the keys and to wake him up. Um, he wasn't up there. Uh, his TV was on and his video game console was on. And and I just, you know, I thought that was odd. I didn't, you know, want to, you know, think anything negative at that point. So I called Dave, Dave back. His phone still was not on and i um left him a message and said nathan's not home and i'm not the kind of per i'm not i don't get up in the morning and turn the tv on to look to watch the news or anything because i'm sure if i did that i would have connected you know i would have thought oh my god no you know so um i decided i would tell dave that i was gonna um call his mother to take me to work because you know i wanted to proceed with my day i didn't want to think anything negative. I wasn't panicking at that time. So, um, she took me to work and, you know, I had this uneasy feeling until my break, my break came. I immediately called him and I noticed that, you know, there was something wrong in his voice. And so I asked him if he found Nathan and he said, yes. And I begged him to tell me what, you know, you know, what it was, what happened. And, he did, and I screamed bloody murder. Um, it is the worst feeling in the world. You feel like you're collapsing, and, and, you know, all my coworkers came to my aid, and they tell me to this day, you know, they remember that day, and they remember, and they can't get it out of their minds, the horror that they heard in my voice. You know, because it's the worst thing you ever ever want to hear. And so I think maybe I'll just let you take over from there.
4: Well, I walked into work and turned my phone on, got her messages. So the first thing I did was call Nathan uh, because he knew that if Charla or I called him, he'd better be answering that phone or he wouldn't have a phone. So I knew he'd answer it, and he didn't. So about an hour later, I called him again. I knew he'd be at school, but I didn't care. I called him, no answer. Uh, and I'm working out, working with a young man who's, uh, yammering about this murder that happened the night before and, uh, that it was over on, uh, Elwood and, and Adams. And, uh, then he mentioned something. He said, it's, it's a Notre Dame student because, He had an expensive bike and all of a sudden i got to thinking wait a second at the time you wouldn't know it now but at the time i rode my bike every day and i purchased an expensive bike you know and i thought oh no so i called my foreman i said i need to go home right now i need to check something yeah go ahead go home so i took one of the trucks i went home opened the garage door no bike and right then i was about 90 percent sure I was like, oh, no. So I went back to work. I called the police. I said, I'm behind your building. Can you send somebody out talk to me about this murder happened last night? No, we can't do that. Uh, uh, you, you'll have to come in. Well, I didn't want to go in. I just need to talk one-on-one with somebody. I said, all right, and I hung up. And luckily, I went into my office, and one of the foremen, uh, used to be a South Bend police officer and I said to him I said you know what I said I think my son was killed last night and he said uh, Dave don't joke about that and I said no I said I'm I'm pretty sure that I, he was do you know anyone in the homicide unit he said yeah my brother works in homicide and uh, I said well I need to talk to him and he called I assume him and uh they talked for a second he said where was it and i said uh elwood and adams and he says all right we need to go down and see them right now so he put me in the truck we went down and uh you know we talked back and forth and he's like you know it might not be him and i was like man i hope not i don't know It just everything's lining up it's bad and then that's when i met you and uh your guys and uh they showed me charlotte's keys and I identified him. yeah that's my wife's keys and then they showed me a picture of him and i said yeah that's my son and uh you told me you said uh, well what i need you to do is go get your wife and meet me back here we'll go in the conference room and talk about it so i i had already told you i needed to tell her tell her so uh Not knowing anything about homicide, I'd much rather you told her, but I, I took off. I went down there, and I knew it was getting close to her break. So I'm going down Portage probably 80 miles an hour in my truck trying to get to her work because I didn't want to tell her over the phone. And sure enough, between the two cemeteries, the phone goes off. It's her. I answer it. Where is he? I'm like, well, you know what? I'm 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 on my way out to see. I I'll be out there. And if you said no, where is he? And I had to tell her, you know, he'd been shot and killed. And of course, like she said, it's the worst scream I'd ever heard. Blood curdling. I mean, I d I, I don't even think childbirth. And I don't know anything about that, but I've never heard a scream like that. You know, and it was it was horrible. I got there, her 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 friends were carrying her out and we put her in the, the truck and we went to my mother's house, you know, so that she could help me because I had to notify his brothers and his sisters, his sister before the press leaked the name. Now, now that you knew who he was, I didn't want them finding out from somebody. Oh, hey, your brother's Nate. Yeah, I saw his shot last night, you know, and that's how they found out. I thought that'd be horrible. You know, and so people don't mean to be, but you know, sometimes it can be heartless like that.
0: Well, that's why we're very guarded. We didn't, we want always wanted to make sure that the family members found out about it instead of through, you know, Facebook. Everybody's got to get on that stupid Facebook. And I'm first one to break the news, you know, I want you to, and for somebody to find that out, we had that happen a couple of times that somebody's sister or whatever got on there and uh, did it that way. And that's just, uh, that's where we always tried to do, I'm going to say 99% of the time, either we went out and told the people specifically, or if it was a family member in California, obviously we can't do that. We'd get a hold of cops out there and have the cops go out and do it because hearing about any other way is, um, I think that's a coward way to do it.
4: I well, really do. I'll tell you uh, very honestly, after having to tell my family what happened, I had a whole new respect for your job. That has got to be the hardest part of your job is to and I and I've watched a few shows and I've seen police run when they get to a house and one guy's got to go up and the other guys are walking away trying to stay.
0: I can't tell you how many of those messages I've delivered. There's no easy way to do it. You just you have to do it. But you see this ugly face at three o'clock in the morning in South Bend, Indiana, this area. People know me and they know I'm there for one of two reasons tell you somebody in your family is dead or somebody in your family is a suspect and it's, it's never good. It's never easy, but it has to be done. Mm-hmm. And, uh, that, that's absolutely one of the worst parts of the job. So w- what happened from that point?
4: Well, at that point we brought Charla in. Once we got her composed, we brought her in and we sat down, uh, with, uh, the prosecutor, the detectives working on it, and uh, Sharla and I, and uh, we started talking. You and you were very frank and honest. You said, "Look, we got this from a shot spotter. We have no clues. We have no idea. He, he we'll do the best we can, but we have no clue what happened." And uh, I had brought his phone with him. I don't know why, but I brought it. Turned it in to you. And, uh, and, and then you guys took it from there. I mean, I, ju- I called you, you know, once uh, i started out two, three times a week, but through the entire investigation, which ended up being about two, three months from not knowing anything till guys arrested. Uh, I called you about once a week. You know, what do you know? What can you tell me? Where are we at? So I, I knew, and this is the hardest part for us is I knew that the kids, most of them knew what had happened and who had done it. And I couldn't get one of them to tell me who who did this.
1: Let's, why don't you say, instead of saying the kids, why don't you say his friends?
4: I'm sorry, yes. Because, because you know, the, the, when you, you, you refer
1: to the kids, we were all, the rest of us were all in the dark.
4: Yeah. I'm, I'm not my kids. I'm, I'm talking about his friends. They all, because they all talk on Facebook and they all talk sure. and they knew... But see, those aren't friends; those are yeah.
0: acquaintances. A real friend steps up and goes, "You know what? Here's what happened." And I don't care if everybody wants to call me a snitch. I don't care what they think. That was my friend. I have, I have an obligation. But most of these most of these people they're in they're in cliques and they're in gangs or in whatever. And it's you know I got your back. You're my boy. You're my bro. You know blah, blah blah blah. Until you get until something happens, then all of a sudden they're trying to kick your mama's door in. They're trying to get next to your girlfriend. They're taking whatever whatever stuff you have because they're not friends they're acquaintances and you can do for me what i need done at that time so you you've hit it exactly on the head
3: yeah uh, but there were you know several of his friends that were very devoted to him and, and we still are very close to him absolutely this day. yeah that's not a that's, that's not a absolutely. sweeping
0: statement of everybody yeah. but yeah. it's a pretty strong general statement of a lot of people that don't have the courage to do the right thing right
3: right
4: well, like like I said, I could tell the ones that would look me in the eye and tell me about Nathan, and then there were a couple of them that wouldn't look me in the eye. And there was one in particular. And <coughs> uh, I I don't want to name any names, no, but yeah, true. this you know we we I I knew this young man knew what had happened and who had done it, and I knew he knew probably the day. Hours after it happened, and he would—I I asked him several times, and he would not tell me until I finally told him one day. I said, "Well, I got a call today. I'm headed down to Metro Homicide. They've got somebody in custody, and he named a name, and it was the guy you had in custody. And that you know, I—that's look,
0: how- look. Nobody's looking for you to be a hero. How about send anonymous letter? How about calling? Crime stoppers and say, I don't want to get involved. I don't want any yeah. money. This is who did it. Have the guts to do the right thing.
1: I well, ask Sitting at home, drinking your cappuccinos and, you know, he, talking tough. He, and- he wasn't He wasn't drinking a cappuccino. I remember very vividly a night where we, uh, there were some people that come over the house and there was this vigil in the front yard. There's quite a few people there. And he told me that night uh, in the driveway that he said that he knew he had a pretty good idea who had done it. And I begged him and begged him to go down and talk to you, to the, to the cops. And he wouldn't, I said, I said, I'll drive you. So I'll take the day off work tomorrow. I said, we'll we'll go whenever you want to go. I said, I'll drive you. So if you want to go at nine o'clock at night when nobody can see you, we'll go at nine o'clock at night. You want to go at three in the morning. We'll go at three in the morning. He would not do it.
0: Well, that's because he would not do it. I said,
1: I said, you know, I, I said, you can't even call yourself a friend. Because, you know, this is somebody that you've, you've, you know, played baseball with for years. We've known you for a long time. I mean, I knew you when I was little, yeah. and you would—you just wouldn't do it. Well, so there's he, so much... so, he, so I told him, I said, you know, so either you're involved with it, and he got mad at that point. I said, so either you're involved, or you're involved with this guy. But you know what? A lot
0: of these people—they're the same ones that are going to go out and do a march. Let's all get together. And stop the violence. Stop the violence. Stop talking. All you're, while you're burning up calories marching, we're burning up we're burning up hours putting cases together. Marching doesn't do squat. It makes you feel good, and you talk about stop the violence. What are you doing to stop the violence? You're marching. Big deal. It's like kissing through a screen door. Give us information. Tell us who's doing what. Tell us about the gang members. Tell us about who's doing the shootings. You know, I, I see it. Uh, you know, in South Bend, 133 shootings last year, 42, 43 homicides. And What do I see? Two things you need to tell your kids. you love them and no. How about you're under arrest? You're doing crimes. You're under arrest. I don't need any Dr. Phil telling me what I need to tell my kids. I need people going out and stopping these shootings. That's what needs to happen. And Stop talking. Stop beating around the bush. I keep hearing about this tough talk. We need to have an honest talk. You're not ready for the honest talk because you don't want to hear the truth. You want to hear the spin. You want to hear all this stuff. You know, I just seen the other night, uh, yesterday, uh, uh, well, I'm not even going to get on that because I'm going to get more and more animated, but the one thing you need to understand, this Shane Williams that I told you about, Shane Williams and Nate were were acquaintances. They weren't friends, they weren't buddies, they were acquaintances. Look, Nate, Nate smoked a little dope. A lot of kids do. I get it. Is he supposed to? No. Is it wrong? Yes. But that's what happened. Shane Williams, his buddy, you're my bro, I got your back, we're all for one, blah, blah, blah. I'd like like to buy an an eighth of an ounce of marijuana. Now, look, Nate was not a drug dealer. Nate was not some uh, cartel dude. Nate wasn't a big baller. Nate had a guy that he liked. I smoke, you smoke, you got a little, you'll sell it to me. I got a little, I'll sell it to you. That's what they did. High school stuff. That's what they did. So on eighth of an ounce of marijuana, people going, oh, marijuana is not harmful to other states. You can say that all you want. I've had about eight homicides because of just marijuana, because of just Facebook, where somebody gets on there and they're spreading out, you know, $15, $20 bills and everything like they're a big baller. And then somebody's kicking in their door and killing them or they're robbing them or doing something stupid. Or even worse yet, they're shooting at me, the drug dealer. You miss and you hit somebody else. Nate was not a drug dealer. Nate was trying to help a friend out. Shane Williams says, All I got is a $100 bill. Now he knows he's going to buy an eighth of an ounce of dope. So he's telling Nate, bring some change. So now I know um, there's going to be a little bit of dope and there's going to be some money there. So what does he do? He gets his good buddy, Jermaine Munn, BD, who, by the way, is, we burned him on a second murder. So he's going to have to be in prison, die, come back to life be in prison, come back, die, come back to life probably three times to serve all the time. there
2: may be more coming. Yeah.
0: So so anyway, um, he elicits um, Jermaine Munn, and the plan is Nate is going to meet up with Shane Williams at this designated location of 1400 block Adams Street. Nate's just doing him a favor. He's not making any money off this. It's a tiny bit of marijuana. So, Nate shows up and just happened to be walking down the street. This guy jumps out and goes, this is a robbery. Completely planned by Shane and Jermaine. Sh- Nate looks at Shane and says, really? You're going to do me like this? Jermaine Munn, who has now pulled a 9 millimeter on him, said, he knows your name? Bang. And shot him right in the face. It was not a shot to scare him. It was not a shot to to make him run. It was a shot to kill him.
2: Execution.
0: That's exactly what it was. That's a perfect word. It was execution. He didn't have a chance. He didn't have an opportunity, but his good bro, Shane, set him up. And then what did Shane do? And what did Jermaine Munn do? Did they call for an ambulance? No. Did they try and perform any life-saving measures? No. Did they do anything to help him? Yeah, they did. They wanted to eliminate anything he had in his pockets for fear that perhaps the extra weight of any money or potential narcotics would uh, would impede his flow of life. So they robbed him as he's down, take off running like cowards that they are, ran to a house about two blocks away or so, mm-hmm. and Munn is laughing about it. Munn laughed about it. He thought that was cool. He he killed somebody, killed an unarmed man that all he would have had to do with Nate, and I don't think Nate was any big brawler. He wasn't a big fighter. He wasn't a big tough guy. All he had to do to say to Nate is, I'm taking all your shit, and if you tell anybody, I'm going to kick your ass every single day I see you. Every single day. Nate wouldn't have said squat. He'd have talked that up to experience. He'd have went on about his thing, and he'd be alive today.
3: You're exactly right. That's how he was.
4: And I'll tell you something, when it all come out in the wash, and I've told people this several times, Jermaine Munn being the idiot he is shot the wrong man because the other guy ended up narking out Jermaine Munn. Shane Williams did. Well. Nate would have never said a word. He wasn't like that. He'd have been mad about it. He got robbed, Mm -hmm. but he wouldn't have told us. He wouldn't have said nothing to anybody. Jermaine Munn shot the wrong guy. He should have shot Chain Williams if he wanted to save himself.
0: Of course, he was involved in gang activity. He meaning BD Munn. Mm-hmm. Uh of course the South Bend, they don't they don't have gangs, they have groups. That's what you know. And there's uh you know, there's there's more time trying to cover up what's really going on with the with the shootings and the excuses and the behavior, and everybody has a seat at the table. So you let gangbangers come in and go, "Yep, yeah, defund the police. We don't want the police." Hell yeah, I wouldn't want the police either if I'm a gangbanger. Let's take more cops off the street. Hell yeah, that's what I'd want if I'm a bad guy. I don't want cops chasing me. Let's have a let's have a um, citizens review board about what the police do. Yeah, that's that's exactly what I want. People that don't know anything about what we do telling us how we should do it and how we should do it better and how we would do it wrong. I can't understand why you can't get cops to join police departments. It's 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 a mystery to me.
3: They're taking away your rights to do your job.
0: What ought to happen for about one week, every cop in the United States goes, hey, you know what? You want to defund us? You don't want cops? We're, we're just all going to sit down. Call Jermaine Munn to come to your house for your burglary. Call Shane Williams when your daughter's molested. Call all these gangbangers to come help you. I'm sure you'll appreciate that. You know, but then, you know, you got to have all these politicians yelling systemic racism and all these things, this rhetoric that is not true. It's There's no basis for it, no proof. And all they're trying to do is divide the country. That's all they're trying to do is divide the country. And people aren't smart enough to see it. They just march to the beat. They just march to the beat. But back to, and this all, I know it sounds like I'm going off on a tangent. And I am a little bit, but it all focuses back on what we're talking about. No job, well, there's jobs. You could be working. You don't have to be doing a lick, as they called it. Uh, you don't have to be uh, going out and doing robberies to people, burglaries, and, and doing all these kinds of things. But now we're getting we're getting back to Nate, and obviously, you know, there had to be an autopsy done. We knew what the cause of death was. We were confident of it, but again, as I say on almost every program, we have to prove it, and that's what we did. Now we start progressing down the road. Um,
2: Can I? Can I just say, so you're, you're at a, a good point. I'd like to say this, that Jermaine Munn, uh, the, the guy that shot your son, um, it was years after that that we charged him with another murder. And knowing that who he is and what he did, uh, he was dangerous. He was very dangerous, always had a gun, and was recruiting these other kids to go with him. Um two lifetimes is not enough for him.
3: Right. And he was 15, maybe Fifth. 14 that's when correct. he first started.
2: Yes. This
3: he 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 was 16 when he killed Nathan.
2: Yes.
0: What were you doing at 16? Probably trying to keep him pawing at you, right? You know, yeah, I mean, that's yeah. 16. You're you're playing ball, you're dating girls, or you're dating boys, or whatever you're doing. You're trying mm-hmm. to have a good time. 16 years old. What do you want to do tonight? Two, where the hell are Where are these parents? Two o'clock in the morning, midnight, you're out robbing people. That's what you're doing. And, and, and this, then, then it's my fault. It's society's fault. Uh, no, you're stupid and you're lazy. That's what it boils down to. That's what this kid is. Stupid and lazy. And who made him that way? Wasn't me. Wasn't the police. Maybe if you would have checked your kid a little bit better, he wouldn't have had two people killed. He wouldn't have killed two people by the time he's 18 and walking around bragging about it. Man, you ain't you. You ain't nothing. I, you know, I got I got two already. Oh yeah, great job. You're a hell of a man. How's prison? Hope you found somebody to fall in love with.
2: Enjoy spooning. Hope so. Jermaine Munn, uh, like I said, was a dangerous, dangerous individual. Um, and he was we classify as a shooter. He would shoot anything at anything. Um, and a lot of the kids that that knew but didn't talk. These guys had a a, a gang at the time, and I can't remember, I think they were called the Hotheads. But they were feared. They were very feared because they were out running and shooting. And if I could pass any message on to anybody who is listening to this this time, I've told people, I get it, you're scared. That's why people doesn't talk sometimes. But the way that we can make sure that you're safe is to put this person away and get him off the street. And that's exactly what we did. Since then, several members of this group he ran around with are in prison. Several of them are dead. Um, And the way that you fix that is by putting them away, locking them up. And that way we know he's not going to hurt anybody else. Well, one of the gangs that was running there was a group called Cash Out. And we put 21 of
0: 23 of them in prison, gone, away, not coming back for a long, long time. Guess what? Here's a new theory. You put people in prison that are in gangs, they don't commit crimes. And you know what happened to crimes in South Bend, Indiana? They went shootings, murders, robberies, burglaries, all that. You can't hug, thug out of some of these people. Thug is a word that relates to to all criminals. So don't get all worked up that we're picking on anybody. It relates to all criminals. You take them off the street, they can't commit crimes. These guys wake up in the morning thinking about crimes. They go to bed thinking about crimes. And in between, that's all they do. And if they're not on the street, they can't do things like this. They can't. Well, we got to the point where we started getting information. I had... uh, Two informants call me. I think I've talked about informants before. You know uh, those those folks are gold. Um, and they got a hold of us, brought them down to the office, and they started talking and laid it out step by step by step by step. And guess what? They got up on the stand, and they pointed fingers, and they told the story. Bong, gaffle goes down. He's gone. You guys had to sit through that. You had to sit through that trial. That was what, four days? Was it four?
4: We never had a trial. He, uh, they both pled out. Oh,
0: you're right. You're right. I, I misspoke. You're right.
3: Yeah.
0: And then, I was thinking. I was thinking of the, the second. One. That is Well we did. Our
3: goal we sat through happen. the second trial. Yeah, we did. That's what I was.
4: That's yeah. What yeah. Yeah. I was
2: thinking of. So dead to rights that they don't have any direction to go other than to plead guilty. Yeah. And that's. I mean, that is the.
0: How did that make you guys feel sitting through the second trial on on Mun, knowing that. He's the one that that killed Nate.
4: Well, I'll tell you something. Uh the trial was a little bit different uh from what we had experienced. Cause like you said, you you uh had charged or you came in, you questioned Mon or uh Shane Williams, you questioned him. And at the end of the questioning, he had done nothing, said nothing or 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 anything. And you told me, you said, I looked at him and I said, Well, that's fine. You go back to jail, go back to your cell, but I'm charging you with murder. And Shane went back. He called his mother from what you told me. He called his mother. They're charging me with murder. I didn't kill nobody. I didn't pull no triggers. How can they charge me with murder? She got a lawyer. They got in touch with you. And the three of them sat down with you. And Shane went through and told Everything because he didn't want to get charged with murder, even though he ultimately was charged with felony murder. Uh and then uh Munn uh confessed a week later and you charged him uh, a week later, then they went. No. <laughs>
3: just-
4: okay. You're getting
3: long winded. I'm
4: sorry. Well oh, that's okay. <laughs> it, uh, the thing right.
0: with with uh, Shane Williams, and I think he realized uh, there was some evidence there that he wasn't mm-hmm. counting on. And I remember when we went down to the county jail, uh, he had spit out at the scene. Mm-hmm. So we recovered some spit. You could see him go, there was just a look on his face like, oh, oh I, I remember spitting out there. Mm-hmm. Now I'm in for it. So in Indiana, it's called acting in concert. You and I, we decided we're going to go rob a bank, you're going to wait out in the car. I'm going to go in and rob it. I shoot the security guard. You get the same case as I do because we acted together to conspire to do this crime. So the uh, the act of one is the act of all. And Shane seemed to think like, well, you know, I'm, I set him up, but I'm not that bad of a guy. He's the bad guy. He shot couldn't have shot him if you wouldn't have set him up. Stupid. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, absolutely. What what, well, what what did you remember?
3: Well, so you asked how we felt setting through. Um, yes. His. Trial after he killed uh, Jerina Bailey, Um, you know, a mother. You know, the worst thing that a parent can go through is the death of their child. The second worst is the fact that he, his memory, may be forgotten as if he never existed. So after Nathan was killed, I decided that I did not want to let his death go in vain. So I, you know, wanted to see. Through that trial, where he was, being you know going to be convicted, hopefully, of uh, during the Bailey's murder, I wanted to see it to the end, and you know, make sure that I was there to see him, you know, have to do more time and never get out of jail, because um, at the at the time he was sentenced for Nathan, he would have been I believe like forty nine when he got out of jail or prison for that, for Nathan's murder so you know I would still be alive and I did not want to see him on the streets again so but I was determined um, to you know not let Nathan's death be in vain but and so I joined groups you know I joined organizations and and I just started feeling very empty doing that and so I've gotten out of it. I've had two grandchildren that I wanted to spend time with. So um, maybe someday I'll get involved with you know, some sort of anti-violence thing again and, and actually do something to change the community.
0: Well, like I said, uh, talking and marching to me is uh, yeah. it's a waste of time. Yeah, it, so I it really how old is. You I, yeah, I would rather take see people take that energy and go, Okay, I know somebody in my family that knows something. Let me pass that information along. Let's, let's sit down and go through these reports. What can we do to resurrect a case to put on this guy that we know is a prolific shoot? What can we do to uh, apply pressure on this? What can we, you know, positive things, not just a bunch of chin music. We need to stop the violence. Yeah, everybody knows that. What's your plan? What are you going to do? What are you prepared to do besides chin music? And the usual answer is nothing. I'm going to march again. What are you going to do? Chip music, ridiculous. I can remember when we sat through that that second trial, and I'm sure you guys how smug, mine was. It was like you are just boring the shit out of me sitting here. He he twisted his chair and he was looking around, and it's like, I, hey, look, my little pumpkin is is this boring you? I realize you just you killed two people and it mm-hmm. takes time out of your busy day of trying to find a cure for cancer, twisting around, looking at the crowd. It was, it was like,
3: I got to get back to prison to exchange notes with the other prisoners.
2: When you, when you saw that he was found guilty of the second murder, how did that make you feel?
3: I was, like I said, relieved that he was never going to get out of jail or prison. Um, But at the same time, I mean, I just how can he just kill somebody for no reason basically I I was thinking so
0: you know I don't I don't know the well, thing just... is you got to understand the psyche of these guys there was a reason there what was is, a reason they... you had something that I wanted I'm not willing to work you would be able to identify me and him so because of my actions being here to rob you and you being a victim, I got to kill you because I'd be getting in trouble for it. Those are the, it's, it's as rudimentary as that sounds. Those are the reasons. All I care about is me. I don't care about you.
3: Yep, That's, that's exactly, exactly
0: what, what it is. And it. the guy is a sociopath. He didn't care. He could, just like I said. we're we're in court, he's just spinning around looking, you know, like how much longer we, you know, it's almost noon. It's, you know, I got to get something to eat and then I got to go back in my bunk. And everything was a freaking non-caring.
1: Well, and that's just it. He didn't care either. When When he was going for a sentencing hearing and Judge Freeze asked him if he had anything to say, now, I'd be begging for forgiveness. Have some mercy. Give me another shot. You know, yada, yada, yada. He just stood up there in his little handcuffs and he just didn't say a word and he just shrugged. No, I got nothing.
3: Yeah, and I believe that Freeze asked him to turn around and apologize to us.
1: And, and he, he wouldn't, he, he wouldn't he do, it. do it. He wouldn't do it. Well, what his, his 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 mother was there, I think, for the very first time. Yeah. And she she's had this like stone cold look on her face, like, well, this is just wasting my time. You know, I'm just watching my 16-year-old son go to prison. You know, for you know, this is just I'll go back. Well, he we still
3: it. have a roof over his head, right?
4: If that's I don't what you want to what call she it.
3: Thought.
1: But he just he just he did he didn't care.
4: But you know what? When I gave my victim impact speech, I spent a, a good six weeks trying to prepare it, and I have a good friend who is a uh, police officer in another jurisdiction here in North Indiana, and that young that man sat with me i'd read him what i was thinking over the phone because i wanted him to tell me because i was so afraid the judge would see anger and not listen to what i had to say and i wanted to make the judge realize we needed all 65 years on this and so we finally came up with what i had and i gave the and i gave the speech and i never forget judge freeze turned to me and he said I am so sorry for what your family went through. And at that moment, I realized I can turn this whole thing that Munn is doing to my advantage. And I said to Judge Freeze, thank you very much. I, I really appreciate it. But what our family would really like to hear is how much, how sorry Mr. Munn is for what he did. And Judge Freeze and the prosecutor turned to him And I saw, and he didn't say a word. And I saw his lawyer's head go like this. And I said, thank you. I heard exactly what I needed to. And I turned and I went and I sat down.
1: We we went to every court hearing that he was in. One of us did. And, you know, there was a couple different people that got sentenced for, you know, for various crimes, whatever. And they were all like, you know, I'm sorry. I'll never do it again. You know, and they were back a couple days later, whatever. But they were all, I mean, they'd all beg for forgiveness. I mean, this guy just had nothing. He didn't care. It was just no big deal to him. It, you know, he just like he he just it's like one of those, one of those movies you see that you know isn't that isn't real, but it's just it's like it's playing out in front of you. He just did not care. He wouldn't even turn his face and face his mother. He wouldn't even apologize to his own mother.
0: Why would he apologize? He didn't do anything wrong. It's your fault. It's your fault. You're the victim. You showed up, you had money, you made me do what I did. It's not my fault. It's society made me do this. Everybody made me do it except me. That's the problem with this freaking country right now. People are not made to to take their actions and and get them jammed on them. There's there's this. Watch the shiny object up here, and let's forget about what he did. Let's make excuses. Forget about it, what he did. You know, if I know you can't arrest your way out of everything, but if you this is South Bend, Indiana. People know who the shooters are. People know who the gangbangers are. People know who the are. all that. As a matter of fact, I, I, I make this challenge to right now. Give me 10 people in a South Bend police department. Let me let me pick them. And I don't want to hear about you cursed at somebody or you hurt somebody's feelings, your shoes don't match, and all that other stupid stuff that doesn't mean anything. Give me 10 people. I'll guarantee you. I guarantee you in a year. Crime would go like this because it wouldn't be. two things you need to tell your kids. You love them and know. Stop blowing sunshine up the citizens' pant legs and tell them how great it is. You're lying to them. You're cheating on them. You're lying to them. They're getting shot at an alarming rate because of your inability or your lack of courage to do the right thing. That's why their child was killed. Because there were gang bangers. And people didn't want to admit there were gangs. It's not as bad as what it was. Their child's dead because of a gang banger. Look them in the face and say, we need to give more hugs. We need to put more cocoa butter on somebody's butt. We need to make more excuses. Tell them, look at that picture. Tell him, you can't. He's dead. Any last words?
2: Uh, I always like to mention the team effort. Um, Being in that unit was very taxing. Uh, But everybody's there because they brought something to the table. And just the hard work and the integrity, and these guys treat everybody like a family member. And yeah. we, and they still don't quit. No case ever goes cold. We work it until we get who it is.
3: Yeah, I always felt compassion from you guys, from Galen. He gave me a hug. and
2: Well, hey, when the, 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 the phrase cold case, it's, it's just one that's just, temporarily to the side because there's nothing to go on at the time. But I've Unsolved. seen I've seen these guys, me as well, work two, three days straight with no sleep, no food, no shower, and uh you know, eat a hamburger and take off again, hundred miles an hour. And uh that's what you need. And and these guys that are on this team, these techs that went out with nothing and and found uh, a little bit of of stuff and DNA that was able to to be found uh, without people that do stuff like that, you don't have a team. And so, like Tim said at the beginning, uh, the team is who I want to give uh, credit to, not one certain person.
3: We never felt like you guys weren't, you know, um, out there doing the investigating and, um, you know, um, I think a lot of people, if if they don't get answers right away, they get impatient and you guys can't tell what you're finding because it could go out, you know, it could get spread around and then your case could fall through. So we always trusted that you guys were doing your job and, you know, we always had faith
2: I wish more people understood that, like yeah, you said. Yeah, that's very important. Because a lot of things that we did know, and that way, when somebody comes forward with information, if they're telling us things that only we should know, or somebody who was right. there, now they're credible. So a lot of times when people want updates, we're not able to give them. But we right. do have a little bit that uh, we just can't talk about at the time.
3: Yeah. Um, well, can I can I say something yes, about certainly. about Nathan? Um, we're a family that likes to laugh, and Nathan did too. He liked to have a good time. He liked to make his friends laugh. Um and one one incident, one time, um we were at a Cubs game because Nathan was born at bred and bred a Cubs fan. So we were at Wrigley Field, and the seventh inning stretch was approaching, and <laughs> Nathan said, Mom, I'll be right back. And we didn't know what he was doing, you know, and he came back after the seventh inning stretch. And then, you know, we went home that night and Nathan turned the TV on and he recorded the game. So he fast forwarded it to the seventh inning stretch. And this is how much he watched the Cubs. He knew where to stand to get on TV while the guy, whoever it was, was singing you know, take me out to the ball game. So we see his little head go, go from the corner of the building there, and he's on TV while the seventh inning stretch song was being played. That's how funny he was. And I, I just miss him. And so.
4: I just uh, wanted to say, uh, and I've said this before, your unit sat us down on day one told me in Charlotte, we got this off a shot spotter. We have no clues. Nobody knows nothing. Three months later, you had the two young men that committed that crime in men. in jail. And, uh, Criminals. yes, and I can't thank your unit enough for the work. That says it all right there. Three months later, you had them in jail from nothing. To go on, and that yeah, to, to you. us, we can't thank you enough for that. So, thank you very much. That's what
0: we're supposed to do. You got anything?
1: That sums it up for me.
0: Okay. Well, you know, you've heard from the family. You see the devastation it caused. You see that picture, of that young man right there. You've heard me talk um, in very direct terms about the criminals and criminal activity and. The lies that are told to people, and they're lies. Um, that's, that's my strong feeling about it. Um, anytime you have to investigate cases like this, um, they're, they're always tough on you. It does take a toll, but you have to keep going. You can't quit. You have to push. You can't let one case stop you or define you. Yeah, uh, I've said it before. It's a tough job. You got to be tough to do it. And today's world is probably even worse because everybody's yeah. an expert, and you know you don't know anything. I, I have to tell you, it was an honor and a privilege for 45 years to be a police officer. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it, even even with the criticisms and all the other things that go along with it. When you when you can have a family sit here like this, and again, the stuff isn't scripted. We don't tell them what to say. We don't ask. If they don't like the cops, say you don't like the cops. If you like the cops, I, I open it up. They can say whatever they want, good or bad, uh, against us. Um, to be able to look that family in the face and say, we've arrested somebody, it never gives you closure. It gives you an answer. There's never a closure to a death. There's, a, there's an answer. There's an ending, but there's never a closure. Um, I'd like to thank all the vets currently serving overseas serving here i'd like to thank the vets that made this country free to be able to allow me to run my jaws the way i do i'd like to thank all the first responders policemen especially in the aspect of i know how ugly the job is now uh, with all the criticism and everything but you know what keep your head up don't let them beat you down they're no better than you are you're good know you're good know you're doing the right thing Don't let some politician talk you into rolling over. You took an oath to that badge, you took an oath to what that means, you took an oath to every dead policeman who was killed in the line of duty, doing the right thing. Don't let a politician beat you into the ground. Fight back. The other thing is, uh, there's a local person here, Clifton French. He has uh, a paper that he's writing now. It's called Real News Michiana. A conservative paper it tells the other side you know what it, does. it tells the truth it tells the whole story not the portion that sounds cool it tells the whole story real news Michiana go to it and watch it um please watch us on uh, killercatchers.com we're on we switch uh videos each tuesday new ones are coming up if there's something a uh, case that maybe you know about around here you'd like us to do contact me Uh, I'm still doing homicide cases. You can get me at 574-229-8115. So I'm still working. Challenge is still out there. Give me 10 people of my choice and get out of my way and see what happens. All legal, above board and honest, but you'll see a difference and you won't be seeing this. You won't be seeing calluses on your feet from marching. you'll be standing out at the courthouse going, how many years? Crime has dropped. Whew, what a new concept, arrest people. Thank you.